It's not really my intention to time these on a Saturday afternoon. Saturday afternoon, my time, I guess, first thing in the morning, Saturday, for a bunch of people out there. Not exactly primetime viewing time, but it was just a hell of a week. Um, just gone for, for various, various reasons. And yesterday, I was in more of a beer drinking state than what I was sitting here and doing live videos state. So um, let me see. Have I got things in order here? What do I actually want to talk about? First of all, isn't it good to actually be able to hear me properly? Uh, I'm assuming you can hear me properly. I've had a lot of uh, a lot of DAC problems, digital analog converter problems. So I had for the longest time a, a Yamaha something something. <laughs> it's, it's in the drawer. I'll remember. And it, it like it wasn't bad, but it it did not have the output I needed once I got the generic speakers after my last Logitech unit that had lasted absolutely ages died, and then I got a um, uh, a Universal Apollo Twin. This was about March last year, and I just had nothing but problems with it. I could not get both the output to the speakers and the input from the mic working at the same time without it killing the video yes the video not the audio the video when i started doing live streams like this so heaps of problems with that and then i started getting hissing i think with the benefit of hindsight the gain had changed possibly like the digital gain had changed somewhere in the windows settings and i didn't quite realize it but i thought hey no problems this is a good time now that i've upgraded to windows 11 to see if i can make the universal work with everything didn't work with anything after I started mucking around with it, nothing worked at all. So onto the Twitters and asking people what I should get. Anyway, I've ended up with a Focusrite Solo. This is what I keep looking down at here, which is probably the simplest DAC, one of the simplest DACs I could have found. It's just got like one input, which is all I need, just the microphone. Uh, if I had a guitar, it's got an input for that as well. But just one mic input, outputs the speakers, everything's working fine, no special drivers to install, plug it in, beautiful it was about 180 aussie dollars which i think is about a quarter of what the apollo dac was so that's uh that's good and it looks cool and the only possible complaint i have is that the microphone comes out the front instead of the back so there's a cable who cares it works get people joining lance steve says more of a beer drinking day yesterday but can you focus right today Aha, zing Stuart and Levi, g'day guys. Sorry, it's uh, sorry it's a day late, but you know we we're here. Good content. I think I'm going to make up for it next week. I'm going to be a day early, but I'll um, I'll talk about that towards the end of this update. So very happy about that. Hey, let me do sponsor because I have a brand new sponsor this week. I do remember who it is. I just want to make sure I get their wording right. It is Fastmail, and and what I'm especially excited about with Fastmail sponsoring me is it was only recently that Fastmail partnered up with One Password my favorite password manager of, for whom I do have a very close affinity, partnered up for uh, master passwords or master emails rather. So the, the ability to say, look, I want to sign up on a website, but I don't want to give them my actual email address because data breaches and all the rest of it. I will use an anonymized fast mail address so that I don't hand over something that's personally identifiable, but then they'll route it back to me uh, and I will be able to get that email. So they're the sponsor this week, which is cool because it's, you know, again, a very, very good, good, good sponsor fit. Check out Master Email built with one password. One click gets you a unique email address for every online sign up. Now, I have said for a long time, and in fact, I think I provided some commentary for when one password and, and Fastmail joined up. 
But I've said for a long time that your email address is effectively like the primary key of your digital life. The password's kind of like the skeleton key because for most people out there, that one password unlocks everything. But the email address is the thing that joins you across everything. Uh, now, I know this pretty well because I've got 11 plus billion of them in Have I Been Pwned, and I use the email address as the primary key there. That's the thing that you search by. So imagine if you started anonymizing every place that you left an account with your email address. I think it's good stuff. I'm happy about that. So thank you to Fastmail for being my brand new sponsor for quite a while now. And uh, yeah, that's that's great. Go and check that out. Fastmail with one password, master email. Now, part of the reason, look at my list here, part of the reason I'm uh, my week blew out is I did do a workshop, and I'm going to talk about uh, the, the workshop, and I can mention the company because they tweeted it. It's uh, Mercury, which is a, a fintech, uh, US-based, and the, I guess the the joy of them being US-based is that the time zone isn't great for Australia. If I'm honest, just about every time zone is not great for Australia other than the Australian one. <laughs> um, I, I don't tend to do very many workshops on similar time zones, which would basically be Asia, uh, only a couple. I think there's a that there's language barriers, socioeconomic, demographic differences, this sort of thing. But pretty much all the workshops I do are Australia, US, and Europe. So what I do with US workshops is I break those workshops. In fact, what I do with all the ones, even in Australia these days, I break the two-day event into four half days. Now that works well because you're not sitting here just looking at me talking nonstop for two days. Uh, it works well for me because I'll go nuts if I just have to sit here and look at the camera for two days. Also works well for time zones because a full day is really seven hours of actual work time. You know, it's like three and a half hours, lunch, three and a half hours. So I can do like three and a half hours, say for the US, first thing in my day, end of their day, everyone's got business out. Well, they've got business hours. I'm starting at 6.30 in the morning. Not a problem. But due to a scheduling conflict, due to very complicated reasons, I had to take four days and push into three days. Long story short, every day was a 5.30 beginning, which means a 4.30 get up because I need to wake up, have coffee and be presentable. Uh, and a 4.30 get up means my brain is waking me up at about three something. So yeah, that, I was just a bit shattered by the, by the end of the week. So that's my excuse. But it's good to still be doing workshops, and I, I sort of joke about it and say, look, it beats jet lag, but it's, it, it does beat jet lag. You know, it's nice not actually being jet lagged. I haven't been jet lagged for two years now. I don't think I've ever done that before. Have I ever gone two years without going overseas? Not for a very long time. Anyway, moving on. DigiCert, EV Bullshit was the title I put in here. Now, here's a funny thing about this. I'm going to go through the context of what this was and then talk about the funny thing that I've only just realized. Now, uh, when was this? Feb 10, 9.48 in the morning. So this was about, let's call it two and a half days ago in my time. And someone pointed this out to me. Two and a half days ago in my time, DigiCert, a commercial certificate authority who makes money by selling certificates. I don't have a problem with that bit. The next bit I have the problem with, which is the misrepresentation of either the efficacy of certain certificate types, most notably EV, or in DigiCert's case, the misrepresentation of what browsers actually look like. 
because that's kind of pivotal to the EV argument. I just read the tweet. Why are you still claiming this, did you, sir? This is extremely misleading. Anyone feel like reporting this to the relevant advertising standards authority in their jurisdiction? And then the screen grab I have here is of a browser with an EV certificate shown for the website, exampledomain.com. And the EV certificate appears in a big green bar up the top. It says company name. It has been a very long time since any browser has done this. Now, certificate authorities were always pimping their EVs on the basis of, you see the company name, you know you can trust the site. And this was just always a bullshit argument. It used to be so fun. I'd go to conferences and I'd explain the value proposition of EV. You know, you've got to prove that you are the actual organisation. It's like an identity proof. I've gone through it before for Have I Been Pwned just for shits and giggles to see what it looked like. Uh, I clearly don't have that anymore. So you've got to prove who you are, and then you can show who you are to everyone. And the value proposition was that people would see that and they would know that you are trustworthy. But for that to work, the inverse also has to be true. And the inverse is people don't see that and they determine that you are not trustworthy and you leave. Because in order for EV to work, if you build trust by showing the name of the company in the green bar, then conversely, people should not trust when they don't see the company name in the green bar and they should leave the website. Now, the, the problem was is that it was a single-digit percentage of websites that actually had an EV certificate. A single-digit si percentage of sites that had a certificate at all had EV. And what was fun when I used <laughs> when I used to travel, and I'd do this talk about EV and I'd explain it to people, and then I'd go, okay, so in order for EV to work, if you think the website should have EV and then it doesn't, and you see it, you will not use it. You will leave. Because the a lot of the value proposition is, well, a phishing site could come along, and this phishing site could pretend to be the real site. So because the phishing site doesn't have the EV cert, you'll leave that, therefore... You see how it's, it's even difficult to explain these days. Anyway, so I'll do this talk, and I go, okay, now that everyone knows what EV is, who thinks Facebook has EV? And, you know, there might be a room of 400 people and there'll be like a few dozen people put their hands up. I go, okay, so if I load Facebook in the browser now and Facebook doesn't have EV and you don't see Facebook in green, you will no longer use this site, right? And, and everyone's like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> That's, that sounds a bit harsh. But it's like, well, maybe you will. But if you will, it means EV doesn't work because it hasn't done its job. By the way, this room full of people is entirely unique in that they actually know what it is and what to look for. Anyhow, you load up Facebook, no EV. And then there are all these interesting nuances like Twitter for a while there. Depending on which part of the world you're in, you either would or would not get an EV certificate. So if I was in a part of the world where you did get an EV certificate and I had conditioned my brain to say I will not use this site unless I see EV and then I travelled to Australia and I didn't see EV, then I'd stop using the site, right? No, no one would. PayPal. PayPal was one that did have EV and I'd ask the same question and people wouldn't know whether it had it or not and it would come up and it had EV and I'm trying to remember which way around it was but let's say fragrance say Chrome had EV and then I'd go there in Firefox and you would not see the EV indicator because there was a period of time there where I think it was due to the way the certificate store which is different in Firefox to what it is in Chrome because Chrome uses the one on the on the operating system 
the way they chained back up, there was some nuance about the certificate where it just wasn't showing in one browser. So it was like, depending on the browser that you use, all other things being equal, you either would or would not see your V. It was just a, it was a bizarre thing. So it died because it was crap and it didn't work. So to see DigiCert all these years later pimping their wares based on an image showing EV, uh, I called bullshit. Now, um, <laughs> I went and checked the resource I linked to just as I started recording this video, like literally just as I went live. And they've removed the image. So I think someone has actually seen that tweet. The timing's very coincidental. Seen that tweet. I wonder if I can get it to it on archive.org. Do we still see the old one there? I should have archived it. I didn't uh, didn't do that on my own. Let's see. I think someone's seen that tweet and gone, oh, yeah, this does actually look kind of crap. We should remove that. Uh, so I, good, I guess. I guess uh, it was cached. Ooh, look at that. Feb 9, apparently. So they had the old image. And then we can compare the two. This is fun doing this live. What do they still have on the website with archive.org loads? When to use extended validation SSL, which is not SSL, but people still say that. EVSSL certificates should be used wherever you need to communicate a high level of trust to your user. Well, how does it do that? Because you see a padlock. Oh, you've got to click into the padlock. And then you've actually got to read the entity name after you click through multiple dialogues such as shopping carts, login pages, or other sensitive front-facing pages. DigiCert's EVSSL certificates confirm your website has passed rigorous identity verification. That bit I agree with. It's just no one knows what it is. Ah, would you look at that. So, all right, I've just done the A-B test here. I've got archive.org here and the live site here. And it looks like they've taken away the image. What else? Let, let's literally diff the text because this is interesting to see. Let's get a uh, one one Notepad plus plus window here, and then we will get a bit of a bit of wind diff going, and we will figure out what happened. So this one can be old, uh, yeah, old text. That'll work, and then this one can be new because I can see something different on the new one, and I guess. I find it a little bit fascinating to see how do organizations with a product that doesn't work, that's dying, <laughs> how do they still actually manage to sell it? I have a morbid fascination about that. Okay, here's the two files. For some reason, I decided to open over there. Let's open more options here. Let us uh, diff merge with these, new and old. Really? What's changed here? Ah, okay, so uh, it used to say with an EV certificate you can increase shopping cart rates, comma, enhance user trust, and get the green bar on the most important areas of your website while you secure the remainder of your domain with a wildcard. Because, of course, wildcards you couldn't get for EV. So now they've changed that. Now they've said, with an EV certificate, you can increase shopping cart rates and enhance user trust on the most important areas of your website. Blah, 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 blah. So they have removed the text about the green bar. But what they've now done is they've added another sentence which says, see our blog, how to identify fake websites for more information. Oh, this will be good. Let's go and have a look at this. i got nowhere to go. <laughs> i got time. 
Uh, how to identify fake websites. Why is not loading? Here it is. All right. Dean Coughlin has written this. How to identify fake websites. Check if the URL is misspelled. How do you know if it's misspelled? See, this is part of the problem. It's, it's just, this is so basic in terms of the misunderstanding. One key indicator of a fake website is a misspelled URL. Fraudsters may change up a URL name slightly, like using Amazon with a zero instead of an O, or they may change the domain extension, like Amazon.org instead of Amazon.com. I, oh, you know, I, I think I'm going to turn this into another in-person talk because it would be really fun to put to an audience. There are so many domain names out there used by organizations which may not align to the what you would recognize as the primary organization name. Uh, there are so many domain names that might have the word help in them or something similar, which of course is also used by Fisher people because that's that builds trust. It is a massive problem expecting people to read domain names and understand it. Um, there's some really good talks out there on this, and I think it was... It was it Emily Stark from Google who did a talk on this at Locomocosec in Hawaii in 2018. I still remember the talk. There's a video out there somewhere. It was really, really good. And the domain extension, which, of course, they I think they mean TLD here. <sighs> oh, this, this thing is full of shit. Okay, let's pick it apart. <laughs> the TLD. They may change the extension like Amazon.org instead of Amazon.com. Well, which one's right? Is Amazon.org right? What happens if I go to Amazon.org? That's a good question. Is it actually going to resolve to Amazon, which would then make it a really, really bad example? Uh, where does Amazon.org do? Yeah, it resolves to Amazon. So that's a bad example. Uh, also, what if it was Amazon.com.au? Would we trust that? Connection is secure. Certificate is valid. It is a DigiCert certificate of all things. Um, but... Inevitably, not a DigiCert extended validation certificate by the look of it, which uh, which is interesting. Is There's a blog post in this because it goes on. I just read ahead. Check for site seals. A site seal signals that the site is authentic. Now, l- let me just clarify what a site seal is. It is, I don't want to get any facts right, if any facts wrong, it is a PNG image on a website. If you see this PNG image on the website, you know that it is authentic. Site sales signals that the site is authentic. You know what I should do? I should stand up a site which just is a phishing site and it just smashes all of this. <laughs> like, okay, not a real phishing site, but just emulates all the things I say are a phishing site and I'll just make it indistinguishable from the real thing. Uh, so, and you can usually click on the site seal to reveal more information about the website and how it is verified. Seals that do nothing when clicked should not be trusted, as they are likely illegitimate copies of the seal. What? But if I was a Fisher person, I would just make the seal do something when you like. I would make it do the same thing. Oh, jeez, this is terrible. Look for a lock. The padlock on a website means the site is secured by, by an TLS SSL, an TLS SSL certificate that encrypts user data. I agree with this, but you can look for the lock in the upper left of the address bar. There are three types of SSL certificate, domain, organ, and then they go through in details. Uh, domain verifies ownership of the domain, have a DV certificate, do not provide organizational identification information, correct? Therefore, it is not recommended to use DV certificates for commercial per- You idiot. Seriously? OV. This uh, ties EV. Contains additional validation steps and offered the highest level of authentication to protect your brand and users. CAs may require certain documents and personal... 
it's like, yes, they do, but no one actually talks here about how they work because they only work by humans looking for visual indicators after drilling down in the certificate details, making judgment calls on whether the EV certificate should be there or not, and then changing their behavior if it's not. And then they've got an example here of like secure and not secure. Okay, that's fine. Secure site versus scam site. Ah, oh, this is all levels of bullshit. Just because the pellet doesn't necessarily mean that it is not a fake. True. Half of fake sites used for phishing have a pellet, and good on them too. I commend the fisher people for putting a padlock on their site and protecting my data as it goes backwards and forwards. Um, also, thank you very much for now adding a whole bunch of additional information and certificate transparency logs. Scott Helm has a good post on this about how we want more phishing sites to have have SSL, TLS, whatever. Typically, fraudsters use DV certificates. Well, typically everyone uses DV certificates because they're easy. That's why. And they're free, so long as you don't go to DigiCert. Boy, I did did not expect this to turn into a DigiCert bashing session, but as I read this... With DV certificates, they do not prove that the company is legitimate. Incidentally, neither do EV certificates. Um, Burton, who is often here, did a very, very good piece on this many years ago where he got an EV certificate for Stripe. <laughs> Except it was, it was, he did actually have a company called Stripe. It's just not the Stripe that you think it was. Oh, boy. Fake websites using TLS certificates are usually caught, but they might be able to wreak havoc temporarily with a certificate. Oh, yeah, they wreaked it without a certificate before as well. Look beyond the lock. You should look beyond the lock. Oh, this links to something. Is this a, is this a campaign? By clicking on it once to reveal more information. All right, what happens if I click on the lock once? I'm on the Amazon site. It just says Amazon.com connection is secure. More than once? For the highest level of authentication, you sh- if you click on the lock, it will display issued to company name. Well, not on Amazon, which is the example you keep using. What about on DigiCert? Nope. Do I need another click? Another click. And there I see it's issued to DigiCert Inc. (sighs) Additional ways to verify a fake website. They don't have a privacy policy. Seriously? Contact information business, correct spelling and grammar. I've got to spell check this thing now. I've got to spell check this page. <laughs> In general, avoid any deals that seem too good to be true because they likely are. What do you do if you find a fake website? Oh, this is just terrible. I feel like this is where my Sunday is going to go. When was this written? Uh, March last year. All right, this will be fun. I'll deal with this later. Let me see the comments here. Stuart, I imagine that most sales are just renewals of EV. I imagine they are too. Crooked. Question, can DigiCert provide an address bar padlock that not even lockpicking lawyer can break? There's nothing the lockpicking lawyer can't break. Fun side note, my uh, son has just started high school. Last week was his first week, and now they get lockers. And on the parents' uh, WhatsApp group, I have noticed all the parents buying all these padlocks for their kids and posting photos of the padlocks. And of course, they're they're all absolutely terrible, and, and they don't need to be anything better than absolutely terrible for a child's uh, lock on a school locker. Um, I could not 
imagine kids actually breaking into lockers. Anyway, they go to their padlocks. So I was saying to, to Aria, like, hey, mate, just as a, as a project, wouldn't it be fun to go and buy one of every single one of these padlocks that the parents are posting photos on? We get out the lock-picking kit, uh, and we figure out how to pick every single one of those locks. That would be a great party trick at school. Um, you'd make a lot of friends. Uh, and then Joshua has literally just said, there's nothing the lock-picking lawyer can't break. If folks are listening to this and they don't know who the lock-picking lawyer is, just go to YouTube and search this guy. He's, he's hilarious. He breaks every padlock imaginable, usually in about two minutes and often with like a piece of plastic or just something stupid. Stuart, subdomains for same org with different certs happen too. I think I have an example of the root domain with EV and a subdomain without. Well, this is kind of what DigiCert's saying here. They're like, get an EV for the root domain and then a wildcard for your other domains. But then are you looking for the EV cert or not? Like, geez. Which way is it going to go? I'm going to shred this article. Uh, this bugs me so much. Move on. Let it go, Troy. Let it go for tonight. Trip it. <laughs> this is interesting. Another thing that... Basically, it's just like me ranting today. I tweeted a few days ago. So I, uh, I opened my trip it. Now, I'll jump around a bit here. I opened my trip it because I'm going on a trip. Actually, very exciting. I am actually doing a talk in Sydney. Now, let me get the exact name of this right. Uh, in fact, I'm doing two talks. I'm doing a talk here on the computer, on the computer, from home uh, on the 16th of Feb for Teleport, Teleport Security Visionaries. So I'll be talking uh, with them in, uh, in only a few days from now. And then I will be going to Sydney for the Australian Computer Society Reimagined Thought Leaders Summit. Which is, uh, which is really cool. This is going to be the 23rd of Feb. This is going to be the first in-person big conference talk I have done in two years. Not nervous at all. It'll be fine. <laughs> no, really not nervous. It's going to be really good fun. It's actually nice to get out there in front of people again. Uh, I have the keynote here. Apparently, I called it cybersecurity the bottom line. I'm not entirely sure why it was called that, but I will talk about something that fits into that probably did you say it <laughs> we'll see so i'm doing a keynote there 10 30 a.m uh in sydney so uh yeah that's i'm actually pretty excited about that i'm really excited to be traveling again obviously not too far and standing in front of an audience and and seeing people which would be cool so watch out for that one so anyway i was in my trip it back on story and i open up my trip it and trip it Pops up a little confirm your info screen. Please verify your account information. Tripit will never rent or sell your data. Will never rent or so. How do you rent someone's data? Like, can I just hire it for 24 hours like I would a car? Like, how does it work? Please see our privacy policy. Capital P, capital P. Now, it's pre-populated with my first name, my last name, and my home city. But then it asks for date of birth. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to give you that. Click through goes red date of birth required so i've tweeted i said all of a sudden Tripit is demanding a date of birth why what possible reason is there to require a piece of static knowledge-based authentication data in order to use this app now static knowledge-based authentication data is very personal to me that is literally what i went to congress in the u.s to talk about in terms of the impact of on that of data breaches and my 
testimony, <laughs> trying to remember the right word, that's a while ago, my testimony uh, essentially centered on the fact that we have so much data leaked in so many different places and when organizations collect more of it, more of it ultimately becomes at risk. Uh, so please stop doing that. <laughs> like Stop asking for this stuff. And this is really the point I'm making here. Now, to be clear, data birth is static in that you can never change it. So this isn't a password that you can change. It's used for authentication because legacy reasons. Um, very often, your telco, for example. Uh, I know here in Australia, we still have telcos that, you know, you'll, you'll call them up and you go, you know, hey, I'm Troy, I just want to talk about my phone plan. And they go, oh, you say you're Troy, but what's your birth date? Because if you can tell me your birth date, I will know that you really are Troy and then I can give you information. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's not actually on my Wikipedia page. I don't think people have figured that out publicly and put it there, but I'm pretty sure it's got either my correct age or year of birth. Um, Wikipedia is a bit of a funny beast. Uh, it has it has got the incorrect year, <laughs> so it's 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 a year off. If, if anyone wants to fix it, <laughs> it's seventy six, not seventy seven. So, so there's a job for anyone listening to this. My correct year of birth is seven. I'm not going to say when in seventy six, but it was seventy six and not seventy seven. And you can pretty much work that out anyway from my LinkedIn profile and when I was at school and university and everything. So no problems there. Uh, and hey, look, if you're in there, there's probably a whole bunch of other stuff that that could be updated as well. So, you know, do me a favor. <laughs> get things get things renewed. Uh, someone updated some stuff just the other day. Oh, look at that later. So I, I just have a vehement dislike for this because if we consider this principle of data minimization, so how do, how do we as individuals as well as TripIt as an organization ensure that only enough information required to perform the task at hand is actually collected? Because if they don't have my date of birth, they can't lose my date of birth. See, I'm here for thinking. And it's just disappointing that they are asking for this. Uh, and I did actually I did actually sort of say to people, look, if anyone knows, like, let, let me know. Um, I have not had a good... Let me just say I have not had a good answer. And it's interesting too because a few people said, well, you know, look, you just, you just fake the date of birth and I, I did actually make a comment in the thread here it's like look we know people fake this the whole time there's a, there's an overwhelmingly large number of people born on the 1st of January when I have previously aggregated dates of birth from data breaches but someone did actually make make a good point here and they said look they're always worried when faking date of birth that if the service requires that to actually line up with an accurate value and you've put in the wrong thing are there adverse consequences later on uh, a government website would be a really good example. Um, probably not worth lying about that to the government. They know when you're born anyway. For something like TripIt, would it possibly not line up with a, a loyalty program I'm involved in or if, if ever I need to provide my passport details because there's other services and they integrate with a visa thing or something like that? It's, you're kind of left wondering, and as much as I don't think it would really matter, it's also one of these things where it's like, I don't want to screw something up in the future. So I'm disappointed with that. I think at the very least, Trippett could have said, here's why we want this. You know, tell us why. Don't just ask for it. Uh, looking at the comments here, Joshua says, perhaps renting the data relates to statistical analysts of the entire data set. Yeah, but then what? Do they give it back? Because here's the thing. Like, if you rent a car, when you have finished renting the car, you no longer have the car. 
<laughs> like the rental company has the car. If you rent the data, how do you no longer have it? Like, you, know, you, know, you could have copied it unless they aggregate it uh, in, in anonymized fashions or something. I don't know. Captain Irrelevant, I retired from Wikipedia editing because of crap with their rules. Oh, <laughs> he's already updated my bio. Let's, let me have a look. He's just aged me a year, has he? Uh, wow, it's that far. He has actually fixed it. That's awesome. Uh, what else would I like it to say about me? <laughs> One thing that... Um, that I'm adamant about with things like Wikipedia. I learned very early on, uh, you, you are not allowed to edit your own Wikipedia page. And the only reason I learned that is I think I corrected something that was wrong and I got a note from someone and they're they cool. They're like, hey, just so you know, you know, it's not cool. I've had people uh, offer to uh, change it in return for money. So basically paid editing. And I hate this idea. I hate the idea of there being incentivization to curate Wikipedia content. Uh, look, at it, it is what it is. It's not perfect by any way, but it is a community contribution thing. Uh, I'd be very happy for people to add uh, whatever they think is relevant to there, other than my year of birth. Uh, I have no problems with that. So uh, incidentally, it does say age 45 to 46. It is 45. I'm not giving away too much because we're only like a month into the year anyway. <laughs> so you need to know it's at least Feb 13 onwards. Don't put that in the Wikipedia. All right. Last thing. Actually, last thing on there was the fact I was going to go traveling again. So what, what I think I'm going to do, because I'm going to head off on Friday next week, uh, first thing on Friday, I'm going to uh, probably do this on Thursday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, just to try and mix things up a little bit. So I'll come to you extra early next time. Captain Relevant, I have just seen your last point here. Wikipedia, don't take paid editing lightly. Interesting, interesting, interesting point. So let me see if I can find this. I had LinkedIn spam a while ago from someone who said they want to set up a, uh, a Wikipedia, set up a Wikipedia page for me in exchange for money. Uh, I wasn't real happy about that because that was just like outright crappy spam. And I'm just trying to see if this person's still here in my in my LinkedIn chat. Oh, here he is. He is. Here's the thread. So this was this was actually back in December. Um, <laughs> there's a warning. This message may contain unwanted or harmful content. Yolo, show me. Uh, Wikipedia page. I purposely message you to notify you that you are notable and eligible to be on Wikipedia. I'm sure you know what's Wikipedia. Oh, you idiot. <laughs> On multiple levels. Anyway, he goes on. Uh, and I'm like, oh, look, I'm, I've got time. Let's mess with him. So I said, hi, that's interesting. Can you can you give me some examples of your previous work? Now, here's why I said this. So I think I, uh, I tweeted the original message and I said, look, I just hate this artificial crap. And someone from Wikimedia got in touch and said, see if you can get examples of previous work because if we can see other things that he's edited, then we can figure out who he is and we can go to town on him for paid it, which I assume just means like locking the guy out for paid editing. So I said, yeah, hi, that's interesting. Can you give me some examples of your previous work? I'd like to see what the style is like because I'm being sneaky. And he says, yes, of course. And he's linked me through to, I won't say who these people are because I haven't verified that it was him and it might make them look bad otherwise. Two people here who do have... Um, very uh first of all i've got no idea who they are 
And second of all, they've just got very polished looking profiles, like more so than mine. <laughs> I've got a good profile on photo now. I'm happy with that. But everything else on mine is pretty much, well, it's just community. And then so there's one that's a lady here who's apparently a model. And there's another with a guy here who is looks like he's in the tech industry from what I can tell. Um, so I sent all of that off to Wikimedia. I'm like, screw this guy. And uh, and he replied. In fact, here, if this was only a few weeks ago, he replies, good afternoon. I'm waiting for your response. <laughs> so by now, it's like I didn't care. And I just said, currently pending investigation from Wikipedia due to breaching paid editing rules. And he replies right after. He's like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that's how I feel about the whole paid editing thing. So, anyway. All right, folks, I'm going to wrap it up there because it is now getting later on my Saturday evening and I want to go and make a uh, cook a very nice dinner. One of the recipes folks sent through after I shared a, uh, a photo of the new pot I just bought and asked for recommendations. So I'm going to make a nice mushroom and chicken casserole for tonight. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, if you're interested in tuning in next time, that will be five... Five, five days from now because I'm going to do it on the Thursday. Cheers, everyone. See ya.